1: A couple months back, this show called PBD Podcast dedicated a whole two hours to bantering back and forth with a person who, at the time, I had never heard of. Gentlemen, we're live. Gentlemen and a lady and we have lady. here, David. Please. Their guest was a woman named Christina Pushaw. Guest, we got Governor Ron DeSantis's press secretary, Christina Pushaw here with us. Thank you for making the time for being here. And thank you so much for having me here. Christina Pushaw had been working for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for less than a year at the time of this recording. And let me just say it's a little weird for a governor's press flack to end up as the subject of an extended interview in the first place. Usually, being a press secretary means working behind the scenes, being someone who gently nudges a politician in front of a microphone or cleans up their verbal snafus. But it's clear, listening to Pushaw, she sees her job a little differently. How much
0: leeway do you have? Meaning, you know, you have to represent them. How much you say, listen, I trust you, just do your thing. You know, we've we've talked about this. Or it's like, stick to the script. This is what it is. If you screw up, we're going to come... Like, how does it work, your job? Well, I think it's different for every politician. But with Governor DeSantis,
1: I'm really lucky because... I do get a good amount of leeway. And I actually, I feel like I have more of an ability to hit back when there's, like, fake news. Yeah, you're, you're the flag carrier. You're playing yeah. the role of a flag carrier. The Dennis Rodman, if you will. She, she is a friendly Dennis Rodman. But I'm telling you. <laughs> it, that is- Slate's Ben Mathis Lilly says, actually, if you scroll through Pushaw's Twitter feed, she's not that friendly. She likes
2: to beef with people. It's kind of like a sport in a way. For people who are in this in this node uh, of right wing Twitter, particularly a kind of right wing Twitter that's really pugnacious, I guess, and really uh, obsessive about whatever the day's fight is. Um, and so she's in circulation with a lot of these accounts and they all kind of pick the topic of the day or they come to the topic of the day and then they attack.
1: Christina Pushaw can send a swarm of followers after anyone she disagrees with. In fact, when she heard Ben was writing a story about her, she sprayed him with outraged tweets. But a lot of the time, she simply uses her account to grab hold of the zeitgeist and squeeze. In the last few weeks, she and her online ecosystem have developed a new focus, grooming. Grooming is the way a sexual abuser begins to target a victim. But Pushaw uses this term more broadly. Back when progressive advocates rallied against a Florida law that they labeled Don't Say Gay, Pushaw, fired back, said that anyone against this legislation, her boss's legislation, they were probably a groomer. Is Christina Pushaw the Rosetta Stone of grooming?
2: I think she is. She basically just tweeted about it a couple times in early March, and then it exploded. And then from there, it was it was everywhere. It was being picked up in other states. You know, versions of this bill were being picked up, and people were talking about them as anti-grooming bills. They envision a, a chart, and there's like the line that's going along at the bottom, and then there's the point at which Christina Pushaw mentions grooming on her Twitter account, and then the the line just goes straight up.
1: Today on the show how one spokesperson with an itchy Twitter finger is sparking up moral panic. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service— Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you go to Christina Pushaw's Twitter feed right now, it's clear she's got this really powerful megaphone, like more than 130,000 followers. And she's risen to this perch pretty quickly. So I'm wondering if you can take me back and just tell me, like, how did Christina Pushaw get so prominent so fast? Like, she's only been working in Governor Ron DeSantis's office for a year or so, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. And I don't think that she was even on the radar of his administration more than a few months before that, and she didn't live in Florida. She spent some time working in the in the former Soviet state of Georgia, done some political consulting there as far as we can tell.
1: She was like ghostwriting things for Georgian politicians, right?
2: Yeah, for Sakash uh, Mikhail Sakashvili, she was write, you know writing uh, articles for him, helping place articles that he that he wanted uh, in Foreign Policy magazine, for example. And she had come back to the United States sometime I think around you know twenty 2020, twenty 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 one. And the way she came to to Florida, even to Florida politics, is that she became really convinced that Ron DeSantis was being treated unfairly by the national press over COVID, and that his decisions to reopen the state much earlier than other states, were being unfairly blamed for the spread of COVID in Florida.
0: DeSantis was somebody i have been watching really since the beginning of COVID because I
1: liked the way he was handling things. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we're going to go into that.
2: today. So she became but basically his biggest defender on COVID on Twitter. And that's how he, she came to the attention of uh, his administration, as far as we know. And she was very aggressive in defending DeSantis online, despite having no formal relationship with DeSantis or, again, even any background in Florida politics at that point.
1: Like she was just living in the D.C. suburbs doing her thing at the time, but just really aggro online.
2: Yeah, just just really getting into it on Twitter and wrote an article in particular for a a right wing publication, conservative publication called Human Events. And that is uh, what seems to specifically have caught the attention of DeSantis' administration. His lieutenant governor, who's a major defender of his, uh, retweeted that article. And then you can see in a public records request that the Tampa Bay Times and Miami Herald have done, shortly after the lieutenant governor retweets this article, Christina Pushaw emails the administration and says, hey, you know, if you guys are ever, ever interested in hiring someone, I wrote this article, you know, and uh, I'm available.
1: It's hard not to admire the hustle here.
2: It's certainly, it's a certain kind of success story. You know, she really manufactured not only this, this job, but this entire role that she's carved out. She doesn't really act like a conventional press secretary. She's not, you know, necessarily fielding questions from the press behind the scenes all day or setting up media events, you know, she might do some of that. I don't know. But, but what she's mostly in the national news for is fighting with people on Twitter about issues ranging from COVID to the Don't Say Gay Bill. You know, the Florida governor's office wouldn't talk to Slate about this story, just ignored, basically ignored our request for several days. And then when I followed up, they said, well, we're good. Ge- <laughs> hang on a sec.
1: <laughs> You're going to get it out.
2: Yeah, yeah. Taryn Fensky, that's the communications director for DeSantis' office, uh, after a few minutes wrote back, our office deals with the press and the media. Try reaching out to a laundromat. They have more experience with rags. Wow. The idea being that um, Slate is a rag. Uh, just pejorative That's... term. A nasty accusation in our business. <laughs> oh. Wow. Um, So, yeah, they're not following, uh, you know, this was not a matter of, you know, giving me a strongly slanted response, you know, on the record or off the record or even criticizing the position I was taking or, you know. No, they're just
1: giving you the middle finger.
2: Yeah, it it had nothing to do with influencing my coverage. It was, was, in fact, what they were doing uh, and what Pusha did by tweeting about the story before it came out saying it was a smear piece and, you know, it was going to be inaccurate and all that stuff, was just using the piece as a ball to be knocked around right-wing Twitter. So she's really only there to circulate in right-wing Twitter to get right-wing Twitter wild up and to help DeSantis kind of connect to the emotions that are already out there. So she's not really speaking to the mainstream press in any way at all. And so she's not apologizing for her behavior towards Slate. She's kind of made a hobby into her job, and and that job is attacking people online.
1: Okay, so... So Twitter is clearly important to Christina Pushaw. Like it's how she got her job, it's where she lives her life, tweeting you like you could argue it's her love language. <laughs> At a certain point, she began noticing this other account called Libs of TikTok. We should explain exactly what Libs of TikTok does for people who haven't seen it, because it has accounts on Instagram, on Twitter. I think it's been banned from TikTok, actually. But the the woman behind it scours TikTok, finds videos of progressive people talking about their progressive values in ways that she finds triggering. Right. And then she posts them to her community of very conservative people as a kind of grand reveal. Here's a guy in makeup talking about what it means to be trans. Here's a teacher presenting his slideshow that he showed to his class when he came out to them as non-binary. Stuff that to one segment of the population would be quite, quite shocking. It's sort of like, look look what they're doing over there. <laughs> but it's all in the original voice of the people who posted.
2: Right. Yeah. And it's it's basically kind of highlighting bits and pieces of what's happening in the country to create a larger picture or kind of make a larger accusation about, quote unquote, what's happening to our children. That's really what the account specializes in, uh, especially when it comes to these issues of identity, uh, sexual orientation and gender identity that ended up being At stake in the Florida bill, which incidentally does not appear to have been written by people who are aware of libs of TikTok, as far as we know, Uh, nothing they said when they were presenting the bill or arguing about it in the legislature indicates that they had this particular manifestation or this you know this quote this grooming uh, obsession on their minds when they wrote the bill. So it's kind of like two uh, different trends colliding.
1: Yeah, that's interesting that like these two things were kind of happening at the same time, and then. The bill comes out. It gets slapped with the name Don't Say Gay. And then the press secretary, Christina Pushaw, has this marketing she kind of does with the bill. What Christina Pushaw said was, if you're against this bill, some people call it Don't Say Gay. She calls it the anti-grooming bill you are probably a groomer, or at least you don't denounce the grooming of four to eight-year-old children.
2: Right. And, and that's what I think made the bill explode even more into a national story, because the people who wrote the bill or the people who sponsored it in the, in the state House and Senate, I should say, you know, they, they certainly share some of the same concerns as libs of TikTok. Uh, their motivations in writing and passing this bill, according to them, were to give parents the authority and the power to reduce the amount of conversation about gender identity and sexual orientation that their kids heard in school. So they certainly had the same goal.
1: Yeah, they see it as a parent's rights bill.
2: Yeah. And one of them, the sponsor in the Senate, has said that he believes that, according to his uh, reading of the Bible, that homosexuality is immoral. So it's not to say that this, that their motivations were, uh, you know, were progressive by any means, but they just weren't framing it in this kind of apocalyptic sexual abuse terms. And that's what Pushaw brought into the discussion. That's what Libs of TikTok brought into the discussion, is the idea that it wasn't just about getting, letting parents control what they learn about a an issue of of you know morality or or political contentiousness that it was actually about protecting kids from sexual abuse. The parents need to be able to protect their kids from being groomed by by pedophiles in our schools, and it was that kind of really ugly, nasty idea that Pushaw was over, able to overlay on top of what was already a controversial bill. But she, what she overlaid onto it made it orders of magnitude more divisive. And I think almost what gave it some of its power is that no one knew what she was talking about for the most part this notion that grooming was taking place in our schools is not one that even i think a lot of people in the republican party were familiar with before she kind of took it from the niche you know these niche parts of twitter and put it in circulation so i think like it was kind of a perfect social media news bomb to set off more in a minute after
1: a quick break
0: Coming soon from Slate Podcasts.
1: So first it was Dade County.
2: Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin.
0: In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people.
1: And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene.
0: Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again.
2: Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back. This
0: episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Can you explain really explicitly how the grooming language nods to something like QAnon? Because I feel like there have been a couple of instances like this where you see language being introduced by mainstream Republicans that nods to fringier issues. And it's it's like a steady pull. But I'm not sure if you're – unless you're really in those spaces, whether you notice it right away. So can you explain that connection?
2: Part of the reason this took off is it was taking place at about the same time as uh, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's confirmation hearings uh, in the Senate in which he was accused of being soft on child sexual abuse by certain Republican senators which is the, that's what QAnon is about, is QAnon is is at its core the notion that there is a kind of secret conspiracy of sexual abuse that's that's led by prominent Democrats and celebrities, and that Republicans, most especially Donald Trump, are waging an equally secret war against it. And so that, that this is all kind of happening under the surface of American politics, that the actual stakes are these kind of like horrible, sinister, satanic, practices. That's one of the kind of the core beliefs of, of QAnon among among the QAnon hardcore. And so what the idea of, you know, a judge being soft on sentencing for sexual abusers is is is, is nodding to that without coming right out and saying you're part of this kind of cabal or 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 cult. That's similar to what's happening in grooming, and it's and it's just kind of like taking it to the average person. So it's taking something that that is has been kind of centered around this discussion of like secret elite traditions or secret elite practices, and then saying no, actually, maybe it's happening everywhere in the country, and it's happening all over our elementary schools and junior high schools everywhere in the country. uh, Is that this kind of grooming is taking place? So it's a way that you can appeal to people who who believe in the more elaborate versions of the theory without having to make accusations that would get you still, you know, laughed off, meet the press, as it were.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because the concern about the word grooming that I've seen is that it's so extreme, the accusation is so vile, that it has this potential of demanding action. Is there any sign that someone like Christina Pushaw, worries about that or thinks about that?
2: No, I don't think there's any sign of it at all. I think that this is one way... Uh, in which we can see how American politics has changed. Uh, American politics has always had dark undercurrents and nasty accusations, but I think in 10 years ago, 20 years ago, an accusation like this would be happening way, way, way sub rosa. This would be the kind of thing that someone's uh, campaign was tacitly allowing to be an accusation that would be made in an anonymous mailing or in a in a quote unquote push poll where you get a phone call and no one will say who the phone call's from and it's asking you. Uh, alleged poll questions about a, a rumor about the other candidate. So that's where this kind of stuff was kind of reserved to. And if it ever, if it ever, got traced back to a uh, to a candidate or to a, to an elected official, they would disavow it and apologize for it. But if we can evaluate what Ron DeSantis thinks about Christina Pushaw from his behavior, he thinks it's fine. He's you know continued to happily employ her in her job for the last uh, month and a half after she launched this grooming idea into the into the public consciousness.
1: Is it notable to you that Pushaw is using this grooming language or has used this grooming language, but Governor DeSantis is not?
2: I think that is very notable. And I think that's part of what they're, they're, they were trying to argue when they're defending the bill is they're, they're trying to have it two ways a little bit. Like part of the defense of the bill is, oh, it doesn't have the word gay in it, but it does say sexual or, you know, don't discuss sexual orientation or gender identity in a quote unquote age inappropriate way. So DeSantis as a figure, gets to be above the fray a little bit and stick to his talking points about parental rights in school, stuff that's maybe a little more palatable to the average swing voter, this idea of like, well, I do want to know what, you know, I do want to know what my kid is learning in school, that sort of thing. Well, at the same time, this very vicious and nasty and, you know, uh, I think extremely, extremely unfair uh, fight is being waged in its defense on another level that he kind of gets to stay away from. And that's the role that she serves within his administration.
1: So do you see any way for people who look at these grooming accusations and are just disgusted by them to call the bluff of someone like Christina Pushaw to push back?
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't see a way to eradicate these kind of accusations from the American political discourse simply because of how ubiquitous they are and, and, and how little resistance there is in the Republican Party stuff like this has hurt Donald Trump. Uh, it hurt Donald Trump's approval rating when he was president, that people kind of had the perception that he was willing to indulge some, you know, kind of crazy or nasty theories about people. Uh, I think one thing that actually that the that, that Santa's has working in his favor right now is that this, the idea of grooming, it's still maybe not something that the, the average voter has much awareness of. So, you know, I would imagine the calculation is that it's just not something that's going to hurt their reputation to the point that their opponents would be able to use it against them in a general election. I think like a great example of that would be like when Trump said you could inject yourself with bleach, maybe to cure COVID, (laughs) like, you know, comments like that, that really break through. That are just like the kind of thing that you hear, you know, people are, you could bring it up to your cab driver or, you know, someone at, you know, one of your relatives? And they're going to know what you're talking about. I don't know that this, this story has broken through to that way in a a way that would make um, the Republican brand look bad to someone who's not, Necessarily, a totally engaged voter in the you know in the sense of listening to Slate News podcasts.
1: To you, what is this story about? Like the story of Christina
2: Pushaw, what it's about is the worst, most specious, and nastiest impulse in any political situation. Uh, People who have those impulses are going to be rewarded in our current environment, and they are going to be elevated to positions like Christina Pushaw's. And this is kind of how politics is going to be done until it's a liability.
1: Ben mathis Lilly, thank you so much for joining me, talking to me about this. Thank you for having me. Ben mathis Lilly is a Slate senior writer. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Carmel Del Shad, and Elena Schwartz. We are getting a ton of help right now from Anna Rubinova and Sam Kim. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. Go track me down on Twitter before Elon Musk drives me out of that site. I'm at Mary's desk. All right. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.
0: Coming soon from Slate Podcasts.
1: So...
0: If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again.
2: Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails, there ain't no going back.
1: Hi, I'm Josh Levine. My podcast, The Queen, tells the story of Linda Taylor. She was a con artist, a kidnapper, and maybe even a murderer. She was also given the title The Welfare Queen, and her story was used by Ronald Reagan to justify slashing aid to the poor. Now, it's time to hear her real story. Over the course of four episodes, you'll find out what was done to Linda Taylor, what she did to others, and what was done in her name. The the great lesson of this, uh, for me, is that people will
2: come to their own conclusions based on what their prejudices are.
1: Subscribe to The Queen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now.